This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. A new week, new podcast, Scoop Duck and High Five. My name's Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs via Zoom by Justin Hopkins, ScoopDuck.com. So the Ducks have a football schedule. We broke it all down on last week's pod. Now I'm... I'm really fascinated. Um, there were there were narratives that surrounded the Pac-12 not playing about how they were going to lose all these recruits and the sky was falling and everything was just awful. And I'm curious now. You're really plugged in when it comes to the coaching staff and you, you know Oregon recruiting. Did the sky fall? Did they lose anybody? No, I mean, not any more than, than we've seen the trend develop over the last couple of years of, of SEC schools and ACC schools, uh, you know, coming in and, and doing a, a good job of recruiting some of the top talent out West. You've got guys on that Alabama roster, you know, coming from the state of California. You've got, you know, guys over at Clemson and DJ Ugalali, you know, coming in for spells at quarterback for Clemson. Uh, you know, you got some of those big ones, but that's all prior to the pandemic that's all prior to postponing you know pac 12 football seasons so um at this particular moment i would have to say i wonder how that would have impacted things had the pac 12 not made the decision to play this fall because obviously you know as we saw we're the last ones to the table if you will with the big 10 reversing as well so i do wonder if the pac 12 hadn't played uh, you know, football this fall. And even if it's just a six or seven game season or whatever it is, it certainly certainly gets them in the race. And it certainly seems to take a lot of the pressure off, you know, from the talking heads like, hey, look, okay, at least the Pac-12 is playing. Nobody really seems to be talking too much about the fact that, yeah, but they're only playing six or seven games. I mean, you kind of hear it mentioned, but it's not a big deal. Um, you know, so I think ultimately, uh, you know, I think all had an impact had the Pac-12 been the only conference it didn't play. Yeah. Um, so so they dodged that bullet. They're getting ready for the season. How, how close is this to a normal preparation for a season? Uh, I mean, you know, none of it's really normal, you know, for that matter, because here we are in, uh, you know, mid-October, and we are basically just – going through the first week of, of fall camp. So obviously, uh, you know, you're, uh, what are you basically two months behind, uh, where you would normally be give or take a week or so, uh, you know, haven't, haven't seen the, the regular football games that we kind of expected. So I don't know. I, I, to me, I don't know about you, Matt, but the new normal is almost like looking at, to me, the new normal is looking at the college football schedule on Monday mm-hmm. and then looking at it again on Thursday or Friday and see who had to postpone or cancel because that really feels like the new normal at this point. Um, I mean, there's only been, I mean, if you think about it, out of all the games that have been played, there's really only been 
a couple handful of games that have been canceled. I, you know, last I looked, I think it was somewhere around 20 that have been postponed or canceled. And I think there's been over a hundred games. Uh, you know, so I, I guess they have a pretty good record, uh, but it is kind of comical because, you know, obviously you and I, here we are on a Thursday afternoon, Nick Saban gets COVID, uh, you know, or at least announces that he has COVID on a Wednesday. And you kind of wonder with, you know, Georgia and Bama, a number two versus a number three coming up on Saturday, you know, will he be able to coach? Will he not be able to coach? Now we're hearing that he's not allowed to coach even via Zoom or whatever video media he wants to use. So um, I don't know. We just, I guess we all continue to, to just make our way through the new normal. And I don't know about you, but I would be happy to have the old normal next year. Right, right. <laughs> and and I, I, I bring up that question about just, preparing for the season, normal transition, because I, I know we've seen, for example, we, t- we talked about it on the pod, Oklahoma at one point lost their entire offensive line group. They couldn't practice, and they, they've really struggled this season, and I, I feel like that might have played a part. Um, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State head coach, he was on the radio yesterday, and he talked about how even in the SEC – this conference known for defense um, because of the way that practices were halted and and then just kind of picked up out of the blue because we're going to get a college football season and uh, you know coaches and players figuring out what to do on the fly. Defenses are getting outpaced by offenses right now, and that never happened. And right. I, I'm curious just right now, the Pac-12 is getting ready. The Ducks are getting ready. Do you think that we're going to see that same trend, uh, some position groups that are a little behind or, or sides of the ball that are behind when uh, the Ducks start play? Without question. I mean, I think I, I'm, let's just, you know, you and I are an Oregon-centric podcast, obviously, but if you just look at college football as a whole, I mean, the SEC, you know, one of the, if not the absolute best conferences in college football you know, they've seen some, uh, you know, gr- uh, growing pains, if you will. And I mean, I think ultimately if, if, and I say this, if, if LSU and Mississippi state, everything had been under normal circumstances, I'm not sure that Mike Leach wins that game. He's gone and done it exactly what I felt he was going to do. He's going to win that game. And then he loses a couple of games after that, where you scratch your head and like, how, how, do you, how do you, how do you beat LSU? And then you lose Arkansas and, I don't even know who else he lost to, but they're both right. bad teams. But <laughs> well, he didn't lose; uh, his players lost. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot it's Mike <laughs> Leach. He doesn't. He doesn't lose. Um, you know, and and of course, you know, you're Mario Cristobal. You're in there. You're you're demanding the best that you can get out of your players. Um, you know, for Oregon, the good news is you return a lot of experienced players all over the roster. Obviously, as we've talked about before, not at offensive line and not at quarterback. Um, you know, those aren't, those aren't a, a big returning groups for the ducks, but by a large part, you've got a lot of experience still in your defensive backfield, even though you got, are going to have a couple of new faces. Uh, you're going to have a lot of experience on your, uh, defensive line. You'll have some of the same guys at linebacker. Um, you know, so there's a lot to take away from that. Uh, will there be, will there be growing pains? Absolutely. I can't imagine Oregon comes out and starts hitting on all cylinders in game one. I expect it'll be sloppy. I have a feeling that in the post-game conference, we'll hear Mario Cristobal sing, single out penalties uh, and a lack of discipline there because I fully expect it. I don't, I mean, you can do as good as you can trying to coach through it and trying to, you know, get your guys ready. It is still going to happen. It's just going to happen because let's face it, no matter what 
game situation you try and, and create in practice, it's not a game. It's going to be different. So, but uh, that'll be across the board. I, I, I can't envision that any of, of the other schools in the Pac-12 are better prepared than Oregon. They're all going to make mistakes. There's going to be high penalties. I think you will see a lot of defensive miscues that will lead to a lot of offensive big plays. Apologize for the jet that's circling around, which we rarely get down here in Southern Oregon, but got a couple of fighter jets that have come down to play this afternoon, which is really fun. I'm sitting outside. I figured, you know what? I'm going to sit outside. And I know there was the clicking noise last week, but at least I figure that the, the sounds of nature will be better than, than the sounds of the clicking. So you want to hear something get, funny? Yeah. So I can hear the birds chirping in the background. It's clearly right. a, a beautiful, you know, serene late fall morning for you. Uh, I don't hear any planes. Really? No, nope, no planes. Loud fighter jet that's gone. I live fairly close to the airport, and he's made two laps already. They're fun to watch. It's yeah. fun to watch them go screaming by. But uh, yeah, I figured you guys couldn't could hear him. But uh, that's funny. But yeah, the birds are out here. You guys will probably hear the dogs barking a little bit because they're obviously here to protect the 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 household. They think they got to bark at everything. So <laughs> I just figured I'd sit outside and do this and and work on my you know work on my vitamin D because obviously I'm you know I'm lightening up on my skin tone yeah. as you can see. So. Uh, but back to what I said, but you're going to see some ugly play. You're going to see some mistakes. You're going to see some false starts. You're going to see some holding. You're going to see, you know what I mean? Just the things that you would expect to see, like, for instance, in a NFL preseason game. I think that's what, you, what you're going to see. The problem is, and I'll get this back to Oregon. The problem is you play Stanford first. And ultimately, the la- only team that you've lost to at home the last couple of years mm-hmm. is right. Stanford. And they have David Shaw still. I know they've had a lot of turnover on their roster. They're young. They've got a lot of unproven guys. But it's still Stanford. It's still David Shaw. They're going to be good. They're going to play as disciplined as you can expect. Once again, they'll have their own learning curves, but they'll still play disciplined football. They'll be physical. That's a really good, strong first test for Oregon. Uh, and, And Oregon really just needs to do a good job of not beating themselves up too much in that football game. No doubt. I've I've argued for years that David Shaw is probably the best coach in the Pac-12, and he's never going to win the hardware that Coach Cristobal has. And Coach Cristobal, let's be fair, he's an amazing coach in his own right, could very well win a national title at Oregon someday, but he can go out and recruit. He can go out and, and go get a four-star or five-star kid, and David Shaw can't because David Shaw can't get that kid accepted into Stanford. He's got to go with who can get accepted before he can think about who's the best pick for my football team. And and his ability, I think, to, to mold a program every year always makes them such a challenge. It's so stereotypical to say, but that is always such a well-coached, well-run team. They're they're smart, great football IQ, and uh, even with all the departures they've had, all the new faces, I I I know Oregon does not want to start the year against them. No, no, I I I mean I I know that the media and I know a lot of people are down on Stanford this year because of the turnover. I'm not. I think they're going to compete for that second spot in the North which makes them a very tough team. I think the North is very good. I think, I think obviously, you know, and I've said this before, just repeating, but I think the North runs through Eugene. I think Oregon is the team to beat, but you could legitimately, and 
I would say this about Oregon State if their schedule was different, but they got a blistering schedule. That's a tough one. But I feel as though Cal, Washington, Stanford all have a viable shot at finishing number two in the North. And when you're only playing a six-game season, you know, it's going to be razor thin. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to win by three or four games because you're only playing, they shouldn't at least, uh, you know, in a six-game schedule. So I'll be curious to see, you know, if Stanford can win enough after the Oregon game uh, to stay in that number two spot. And I got a feeling they'll be close. You know, they'll be really close. And and again, I think Oregon State is certainly squarely in the mix and ultimately is that team you don't want to play this season just because you should beat them, but they're going to be good enough to make you earn it. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that Pac-12 North is really good. I also really like Nick Rolovich. I think he can be a great coach at Washington State. I just think it's going to take a couple years for them to get there. Mm-hmm. No, I, I largely agree. Um, last night on my show, I talked about concerns for the Ducks. Um, the The position group that stood out to me, offensive line. I, I love the recruits that Mario has brought in. I believe in the potential of that group. I'm just not sure if in a COVID season, in a season without spring ball, in a season where your, your fall camp is – really what it is, and you're not going to have the best player in football on that left flank. I'm just not sure if they can get it together in time. Uh, Are you concerned about the line, and is there any other position group that you're concerned about? Well, I I think you, you know, I I think you're being naive if you you don't say you're concerned about the offensive line. You have to be. I mean, that much turnover and the fact that basically you're starting five new players this season. Now, some of them have experience. Some of them have made starts here and there. Stephen Jones being one of them. You know, uh, uh, Salah Amave has played in the past. Um, I think TJ Bass comes in as as a, he's a Juco product. He wasn't with the team last year, but I think he comes in more refined you know, than just a, a true freshman does. So, uh, you know, Alex Forsyth is there. George Moore returns for what feels like his eighth year of football. Um, you've got experience there, but, uh, you know, we know, I mean, we know from the NFL, you know, from college football, that doesn't necessarily mean you've got a great offensive line. These guys have to come together. They have to understand their assignments. They've got to play with some chemistry um, and it's all got to come together. And unfortunately for them, it's got to come together quicker than it would in a normal year so you know with that being the case number one concern is right there at offensive line now that said here's the here's the key to that you've got mario cristobal as the head coach obviously hugely offensive line minded and you've got alex mirabal who's probably the only coach in america he trusts to run the offensive line group for him you've got two coaches coaching one position group and one happens to be the the guy who runs the whole team mm-hmm. you've got to feel really good about that you've got to feel really good that they're going to figure out a way i mean mario cristobal has produced offensive line at the top level into the nfl for the past what decade and you've got to believe that maybe he doesn't have that first rounder now he doesn't have panay sewell to count on on the left side but he's going to develop those guys i mean that's what he does he gets in there and works them and he, he's a perfectionist, and we know he's a workaholic. We've, t- we've called him that on the show before, and he is. You know, he's going to figure out a way. Now, some things you can do is you could kind of dumb down your blocking schemes a little bit, maybe not make them so complex, which can make the, defense, you know, make the defense's job a little bit easier. But still maintain, if your guys are doing a good job, if they're big and strong and fast and powerful, which we've seen Mario Cristobal recruit, they can be just fine. Are they going to be the strength of your team? 
Maybe not, but if they're just good enough to help you move the ball and create some lanes in the run game, and if they can hold up the line just long enough in pass protection, and if Tyler Shuck can protect the football and not make bad mistakes, your offense can go and conceivably put up 25 points or more per game. And I have a strong belief that the defense is going to be good enough that can win almost any game out there if they can keep it. I believe they'll be able to keep most teams under 25, which means the offense just merely needs to get to that number or one point more to win football games. It's a recipe for success when your defense is so strong, and I believe Oregon's is. Yeah. Um, you talk about that defense. I'm, I'm guessing no concerns on that side of the ball. Yeah, you got it. I, 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 you know, Javon Holland, kind of the quarterback of, of the of the defense back there. Uh, you know, a guy you could bring up to the line of scrimmage, a guy that could play deep safety for him, had a, a lot of instinctual play. But overall, I would say this. Uh, losing Brady Breeze is tough. Losing Javon Holland is tough. Great players, no disrespect to them. But overall, I believe with the growth of the younger guys, with the fact that Nick Pickett is still there, Verone McKinley's returning, you bring in Jordan Happel from Boise State, who I've heard great reviews about so far. I think overall that group is a little bit better and stronger than it was a year ago in overall depth. It do- that, doesn't, that doesn't make up for experience. That doesn't make up for a superstar like Javon Holland. And let's keep in mind, okay, let's keep in mind, I love Brady Breeze. I'm not, I'm not knocking Brady Breeze. But – Really, before the Pac-12 championship game, we weren't mentioning his name all that much all season long. It, you know, it took him time to get to the point of becoming the Rose Bowl MVP, which he completely deserves. I'm not discrediting him. And he was a big force in the Pac-12 championship game. But there was another 10, 11 games, whatever it was, that Oregon you know, won or played without Brady Breeze being a focal point of the, of the safety group. I think they can get that kind of production from a week-in, week-out basis between Jordan Happel or Jamal Hill or Nick Pickett or who, or whoever ends up taking that spot. Uh, you know, Verone McKinley already played there. So really, yeah, you've got a loss of production losing Javon Holland, but you've got a couple other guys there that are going to be able to fill in where when Oregon experienced an injury at safety last year, they were in pretty dire straits. I include the nickel position in that safety group. Uh, at cornerback, you know where I stand with Mikel Wright. He's, oh, God, I'm going to say this, but he might be the best player on the Oregon team right now. And I understand that Kayvon Thibodeau is back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That isn't lost on me. I think Mikel Wright might end up being this year, and I think people will see it. He's the best player on the Oregon team. Uh, Panay Sewell is gone, so I, I am giving him that honor. And you were fortunate enough to get Diamador Lenore back, who I do, I do believe – it was a slim margin, and I love me some Thomas Graham, great player. I think Diamador Lenore was just a slight little cut above Thomas Graham week in and week out. He was the guy that teams often decided not to throw to, and when they did, Lenore was able to get some interceptions. Uh, you know, we saw that in the in the in the Rose Bowl game um, and other games along the way where they where teams went at him. I know he had the mistake in the Arizona State game uh, that ultimately cost Oregon that game. You know, one mistake, and I get it. It was a very costly mistake, but overall, he had a great season. So, uh, as far as defense goes, man, they got some ballers. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau's back. Jordan Scott's back. I love me some Troy Dye, a leader, a guy that fought, played through injuries. But, I mean, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are on that defense at linebacker. I mean, just an embarrassment of riches at linebacker. Mace Fiona's coming back and going to be another year seasoned. Uh, 
Ducks got some absolute dudes on defense, and they were bigger and more physical and stronger than every other team in the Pac-12 conference. So I really like the defense, and I think they can keep you know, teams to 25 points or under, which, again, just means the offense has to score one more point than that. Right. You said Wright is the, the best player on this team this year. Why? It's just, like, you know, I hate to use it because it's so cliche, but the word it, he has it. I mean, he just has football instincts. He has deceptive speed. He's such a natural cornerback. He has the ability. We've seen him on punt returns, and he's just filthy back there. I got to believe he might, you know, expand that role. Uh, well, excuse me, on kick returns. He'll expand that role into punt returns, I believe, this year. We'll probably see him back there a little bit. He's a guy that's so naturally gifted that could have probably stepped in at wide receiver last year and started uh, if he had really made that move. So, again, you know, just like Kayvon Thibodeau, it's a guy that showed up on campus and from day one just had it. You know, what exactly is it? Well, it's just God-given talent. It's, it's, it's drive. It's just that natural ability that, you know, unfortunately some players work a whole lifetime trying to to come up with and, and can't even get to. And and some people are born with it. I think Kayvon Thibodeau was, as is evident. I, I, I believe Mikel Wright was. And, you know, any time teams wanted to go at Mikel Wright, it was not a problem. I think he was, I, I think he was targeted a few times out on the field, and and he got some really tough breaks on on calls against him last year that just made me scratch my head. But uh, I think by the end of the season, people are going to be talking about Mikel Wright across the nation. And you mentioned, um, oh. Uh, you mentioned uh, the young linebackers coming in, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. Uh, last I read, they were practicing with the second team defense as uh, Oregon gets in gear for the season. Do you think they can crack the lineup and, and get some starting reps this year? Well, and it's something we need to keep in mind. Here, here, you and I are recording this on a Thursday, effectively tomorrow, the day after this podcast, unless you're listening to it on Friday, is the actual first full week of fall camp today. And we haven't even heard reports yet from from the coaches that'll speak after, or and uh, you know the practice reports from today. Today is the first fully padded practice for Oregon football. So, you know, as much as you love your highly anointed five star. Uh, players that you sign and bring in even cave on Thibodeau wasn't running with the ones the first week you know he had to come in and earn his stripes and obviously did uh, as fall camp went on I believe those two guys it might not be both but I believe those two guys will end up uh, at various times you might see one one starting with the ones I think no matter what you're going to see both playing ample reps in the entire season uh, and and that's if they're not starting uh, by week one. So you got to give those guys a little bit of time to earn their stripes. You know, it's a shortened season. Um, you know, those first two weeks that were kind of the break-in weeks, the conditioning weeks, if you will, you know, you don't have pads on, you simply have a helmet. And again, you don't want to go and take, you know, two true freshmen and put them a, a, ahead of guys that are experienced and been on your roster that you watched in practice last year, even if there wasn't spring ball or it was, it was a shortened spring ball, you've seen them in pads. You've seen them, you've seen them in live reps um, so you hate to just go ahead and throw a Noah Sewell and, and a Justin Flo. It's 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 dangerous mojo for your football team when you go and start doing stuff like that. But 
they're in a position to earn it. They're in a position to move ahead and become those guys on the defense. And right now you're, you're lucky. I mean, you've got Adrian Jackson returning. You've got Slade Matautia coming back. You've got guys that have played and contributed at linebacker Mace Buna, a guy that started last year uh, in most games. Uh, you've got guys coming back with experience. You can't just bring these guys in and put them in there with the ones because they were five stars. Go make them earn it. It's going to make them better. It's going to make the guys ahead of them better. And it's better for your football program. So I believe we'll see at least one of them, uh, whether it be uh, Sewell or Flo, in the starting lineup week one. And it won't matter which which one's the odd man left out because he'll be off the bench and playing plenty of snaps in the football game. And uh, one more question on the Duck defense. Uh, you talked about Kayvon Thibodeau earlier. What do you think's the floor for him this year? Is he going to lead the Pac-12 in sacks? Got to think so. I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to be... I don't want to say it's going to be tougher for him this year because he did draw his own fair of, of, uh, share of double teams last year. It's going to be tough. I mean, offenses are going to scheme around him in pregame. When they, when they are planning for Oregon, when they're doing film evaluation, they're going to slide protections to try and help and slow down Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, the problem is you've got Jordan Scott, the, you know, the supreme space eater, man eater in the middle that's going to already demand a double team. So, you know, that means you're leaving your decision to, you know, have a linebacker run free. Uh, maybe it's Austin Foliau coming off the other side, you know, that runs free or only draws a single team, which is dangerous for your offense to have to face that. Um, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is that special kind of player. It's going to be – well, obviously there's no way he can reach his sack total this year in a, in a, in a half-as-long season, okay? So that's not realistic. Uh, but to your question, which was which was greatly phrased, will he lead the Pac-12 in sacks? Even drawing all that attention, I still think he's the guy that gets it done. He's a special talent. Um, he's just so physically gifted. He, again, I circle back to one of those guys that has that it factor. And even as much as you want to scheme for him, he's still going to be a disruptive force. He might have, you know, a gazillion knockdowns or quarterback hurries or whatever the case might be. And and here we are. I think what did he finish with? Like nine and a half sacks last year and his goal was 10. And, I mean, I'm sure there was at least a dozen instances where he was one step away from, you know, hitting the quarterback, hitting his arm, you know, all these other things that don't go into that category. Um, you know, he's that type of force. So, you know, Kayvon's going to get his. And as much as the offense will scheme, you know, to try and slide protection and, and slow him down and disrupt him, you got to believe Oregon's going to move him around to put him in in situations for success yeah um you know put him in situations to try to get him those single teams uh because as you can recall as we all know the defense can move pre-snap and the offense can't so you have an advantage there if you cave on Thibodeau a little bit <laughs> uh, uh if Andy Avalos is listening to this I can imagine he, he probably has quite the grin and the laugh after that the defense can move the offense can't and uh certain number five in green he can move pretty well uh now let's shift gears talk about a story that came out in usa today yesterday i know you and i both tweeted about this uh coaches salaries in the pac-12 ranked from top to bottom there were some surprises uh david shaw number one 4.8 million a year nick rolovich number 10 new coach coming in on the cheap for wazoo and rounding out the very bottom, this surprised me. Jonathan Smith, dead last, right above him, number 11, Mario Cristobal at $2.5 million. 
are you concerned at all that he might look for more money elsewhere? Well, I'm cautiously concerned, but it's this is a this is one of those questions where you just kind of start unfolding it, you know, and it's it's like, you know, it's like Shrek the ogre, it's got layers, it's an onion, it's got layers. And, you know, the simple question, the simple answer to your question to start is I am cautiously concerned and what I mean by that is, you know, Rob Mullins did the right thing when he brought Mario Cristobal on as head coach and was, you know, pretty strict with the contract. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, Rob Mullins was rolling the dice a little bit. Mario Cristobal was, you know, unproven. A lot of folks will prove to what he did at FIU, and I don't dispute that. But again, you still have a relatively unproven coach. He's no longer unproven, okay? I mean, we could, we've, we've, we've all seen firsthand what Mario Cristobal has done to this program. And it's not just about wins and losses. He's recruiting at an exceptional level, not a great level, an exceptional level, far beyond probably what the expectations were when he was signed to Oregon as the head coach. He's winning the football games that matter. He's got the Ducks on top of the conference. He's got a coaching staff that that is absolutely second to none in the conference. And I don't want to say second to none in the country, but it's a top five coaching staff. I mean, I feel that strongly about the coordinators he has in place and the assistants he has in place. He's got a tremendous staff. Oregon's players are graduating. They're staying out of trouble. Okay, we don't hear read about them in the papers, getting in trouble for being out late or, or, or closing down Taylor's, which rest in peace, Taylor's. But you get my point. Uh, Mario Cristobal has done all the things that you want and you ask for somebody to build you a program, not to win football games, to build you a program. Oregon is built for the long haul right now. Now, start taking away, you know, layers here. Mario's contract that he originally signed, I feel was very fair. Okay. It was unproven. That's fair. We've had a couple years now. It's time to revisit that. The, 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 the way college football works is, if you sit on idle hands, somebody else is going to pass you by. And right now, Rob Bolins is, is, is working on getting passed by. Okay, so let's just assume for now, and, and we'll just throw a couple of names out there. Let's just say that Texas and Auburn, two schools that are looking at their current coaches coaching situation right now, because you don't start looking at it at the end of the season. If you do that, you're too late. Mm-hmm. Okay, you start looking at it now, which doesn't mean that you're firing Tom Herman tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But I guarantee the AD of that school is already looking at, all right, do we have the guy? I'm really going to start closely evaluating him the next three, four, five weeks. Oh, and guess what? You know what? These two or three guys over here, I'm going to start keeping an eye on what they're doing at their programs now. Well, one of those names is going to be Mara Cristobal. Everybody's got that name circled. Okay. It doesn't mean they're calling him. It doesn't mean his phone's blowing up. It doesn't mean he's ready to leave Eugene. Okay, we're merely in phase one, so don't jump to phase four yet, people. All right, you got a ways to go. But if you're Rob Mullins, let's just go ahead and skip having him in phase one altogether. All right, sign him to a a generous contract. Don't pay him Nick Saban money. I don't think Mario Cristobal wants that. Okay, I don't think he's expecting that. Just fair market value. Pay him something that shows respect and shows you're committed to him and show that you appreciate what he's doing for your program. Maybe that number's five million. I don't think that's out of whack. Okay, maybe it's five and a half. Maybe it's four and a half with a bunch of other bonuses. I don't know. I don't know, but I think I'm in the neighborhood, right? I think I'm close. I think I'm fair. He's going to want money for his support staff, which I think is almost as big to him 
as his own contract is. And I know that sounds weird to think about, but Mario Cristobal is very well aware of what it takes to build a program. Right. You look at Georgia, you look at Bama, you look at Clemson, and those teams, Ohio State, they're built for the long haul, not j- just because of great coaches, but because of all the support personnel around them. They've built out their staffs that they can do more than their competition. Okay, so you start unpacking these onions and these layers. Here's what the here's the last thing Mario Cristobal wants to worry about entering the season. His freaking contract. Okay? He doesn't want to worry about it. He doesn't want to hear about it. He doesn't want his name mentioned for any jobs. He just wants to be the head coach of Oregon and he would stay here for as long as Oregon would keep him. I I can say that with absolute certainty. Him and his family would remain in Eugene as long as he's respectfully taken care of and given the things that he needs to make this program successful. Okay. You can't just let him go carte blanche and go nuts. I get it. There, there, there are numbers you've got to piece together if you're Rob Mullins, but there's common ground here that they can get to mm-hmm. right now. You're in phase one. Okay. That's these other ADs that are, we're already aware of what Mario Cristobal was making or not making, but now there's a spotlight on it, right? Now everybody knows. So now instead of like maybe one or two ADs kind of being keen on this, everybody knows. And anybody that's thinking, you know, think big picture. There are schools bigger than Oregon. Not a ton, but there are. You know, Texas, Ohio State, Alabama, there are schools with a lot of money. Florida State, Texas A&M, hell, USC for that matter. I can go down the list. Oregon has Phil Knight. Yeah, I know Oregon has Phil Knight, but that's one donor versus schools that have 10 guys that are just a little bit under Phil Knight. Okay, they've got a lot of money and they'll use it. Oregon needs to pony up and just make the buyout so egregious just that Mario Cristobal is not even approachable. And I think Mario Cristobal would sign that. And you got to get him his fair due so that it's really easy for his agent to say, nope, we're good. Hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. Right now, he's making two and a half million dollars. Okay. It's real easy for his agent to kind of take a phone call, even in jest, send Mario a text. Hey, by the way, Texas is interested. They're throwing out numbers like five, six million dollars. Okay. You're going to start bidding against other schools here, Oregon. Right now, you're the only school in the race. Okay. Fix this thing, get it done. I know I'm rambling. I'm not giving you a chance to talk, talk, Matt, but this is something I feel is I'm passionate about because I think it's one of the few mistakes Rob Mullins has made. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's done absolute wonders for this athletic program. I think he's a tremendous athletic director. Right now, he's missing the boat. And I'll say this, okay? okay. This might be your point. I don't know. I'll say this and I'll wrap up. But Jayhawk. They can't announce a new deal for Cristobal amid a pandemic. They've had furloughs. They've had people taking pay cuts, blah, blah, blah. Okay, if that's your argument, that's fine. That's not a bad argument. Okay, I'm not against that. But I'll argue this. In two months, okay, in two months from now, Oregon might be, we'll just say, we'll call it 5-0. and They'll be 5-0 and at that point, knocking on a Pac-12 championship once again with a top five recruiting class. And your head coach is getting ready to jettison from your school because somebody else made him an offer. What are the optics of that versus the optics of making Mario Cristobal a new contract offer that you do or don't announce and just getting that deal done and being done with it? I don't know which optics you think are worse, but I know which one I think are worse. And it would be Oregon losing out on Mario Cristobal because they didn't get something done, get, didn't get something done right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I honestly, I agree with you on all points. I, I think the only issue is what you just brought up of I, I'd be curious to know, and this is the kind of thing that, that we're not going to know because we're not Mario Cristobal. 
right? And you you can talk to Mario, but at the end of the day, I think this really comes down to Mario Cristobal. It comes down to uh, Kelly Graves, women's basketball coach, Dana Altman, men's basketball coach, uh, Mark Wazikowski, baseball coach, uh, Coach Lombardi with softball, all the Oregon athletics head coaches, and Rob Mullins. I would love to know, just fly on the wall, if he told everybody, hey, we want to pay you, we want to extend you if you do well, but we can't pay you right now. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's, you know, what he said. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not in that room. I I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. If, if you or I were Rob Mullins, would you use that as your scapegoat? Obviously you would. You know, so, I mean, I think I feel like we're safely assuming that that's probably the top talking point. But my, I mean, my point is this, right. I, I feel as though this probably should have been handled by March. Okay. The ducks should have come out of the Rose bowl game. Okay. And they should have finished the national signing day, which there wasn't much work to do there in January. And then in February, prior to March, prior to when spring ball was originally kicking off and it did. Mario Cristobal and Rob Mullins should have sat down and had this ironed out. Okay. They should have had this all done and it should have been in the rear view mirror. And my point is this, we can't control the pandemic. We can't control what happened, those circumstances. We know the money's there. I mean, Oregon has the money to spend. There's no doubt that Phil Knight can write a check to pay for whatever contract they want Mm -hmm. for Mario Cristobal today. Would some people get upset about it and may make a ruckus on 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 Twitter and, and in some uh, newspaper articles? Probably. But guess what would happen three days later? Everybody would forget. I mean, that's just what you know. News has such a short, you know, life attention span these days. It would literally be a big deal for a couple of days, and then it's off the table. I mean, Oregon made a a, a pretty aggressive and good hire in Brian McClendon at wide receiver coach amid a hiring freeze Mm -hmm. and really nobody talked about it. And you had to, you had to hire that coach. You couldn't, you couldn't leave that spot vacant. Okay. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. Okay. But there was very little scuttle about that. I think the same would be a Mario Cristobal. Now here we are. You and I are talking about this. My point is this should have been handled by March. And now we are in October. And as much as Mario Cristobal likes Oregon and as much as he loves being here and his family loves being here, I got to believe that you're wearing the man's patience thin. Okay, he, this should have been handled. I guarantee that co- that schools have at least made overtures to his agent about being interested. Whether he's responded, whether he is interested, totally different debate. Okay, totally different topic. But now you're creating a little bit, a little bit of a riffle here, I believe, between a guy that's been very patient and very understanding about what's going on to, okay, it's you're wearing my patience thin. And I think understandably so. So I think this is an area that can avoid any friction and avoid, you know, really getting into a situation where, where Mario Cristobal is getting courted by other schools, much to the chagrin of every Oregon fan out there. I think this can all be avoided by just simply sitting down and, and putting their heads together and saying, here's where we're at, here's where I'm at. There's a deal in the middle. Let's get it done. Everybody's happy. Move on. I don't think it takes much. Right. And, and I think right now, using the pandemic as a reason not to do that, uh, I think it'll ultimately cost Oregon in the end if something isn't done soon. And by soon, I don't mean today. I'm not calling, hey, a deal's got to be done by Friday or, or else. I, that's not what I'm saying. But 
we just haven't seen enough movement on this in a long time that it's kind of time to revisit this and get the ball rolling once again. That's my point. Um. Okay. I I feel that like, was long. Right. That was a lot of talking. Well, I mean, you you had a point, and I I know firsthand just doing this podcast with you every week for a couple of years now. A lot of weeks off air or or we'll stop taping you always get really fired up about that issue well i mean i i do you're right i'm not gonna do i have a man crush on mario crystal i suppose a little i mean i've i've followed this program as closely as anyone you know since mike bellotti was here and a ton of respect for mike bellotti and what he did for this program and a ton of respect for chip kelly and what he did for this program but right now oregon's got in my opinion, the best head coach that they can get, okay? And probably, oh, without be, going full homer, let's just be realistic. They've got a top five to top ten head coach nationally in college football, okay? Nick Saban's Nick Saban. Dabo Swinney's Dabo Swinney. Ryan Day's proven to be a really good football coach, okay? There's some pretty good football coaches out there. But Mario Cristobal's right there in that mix with the rest of them. You might not believe that he's there on the on the on the level of a Nick Saban and I probably won't disagree with you but to think that you're going to do better than Mario Cristobal right now in terms of building a staff recruiting at the level that he's recruiting the product that he's putting on the football field the direction I mean look at th- think about this Matt three three years ago if we'd been doing this podcast I think we've been doing about a year and a half maybe two years now three years ago we would have never even given two thoughts to who the strength and conditioning coach was at Oregon. We wouldn't have even known who it was, right? And next thing you know, he's got three, four, five guys as strength and conditioning coaches. It's all these little things that he's gone and built and created. And I believe Oregon is no longer a football program based on, you know, flashy offense and uniforms. This is a program now built much like Clemson, much built for the long haul. You've got two tremendous recruiting classes, you know, at your school. You've got five stars on your roster you didn't normally have. You've got an expanded recruiting staff. You've got an expanded strength and conditioning staff. You're expanded in all phases. You've got guys that are and, and you've got guys that are dedicated to making sure the athletes are getting good grades and being in class and showing up on time. You've you've got I mean you think about all the questions you might have for a program. Hey, are they doing this right? Are they doing this right? And Mario Cristobal's got it all handled. Okay. Can it get better? Sure. Maybe some areas can get better. But even when Chip Kelly was here, whom I love, I mean, that offense was, I mean, that was magical watching that offense. But right now, all phases, in all ways, Mario Cristobal is a better coach than Chip Kelly in terms of all phases of building a program. Okay, and that includes all those things. Now, is he the offensive genius that Chip Kelly is? No, I'm not saying that. Okay, that's simply one element. I'm saying that you've got him here. He's here now. He's probably the best head coach you're going to get. He will build you a monster in Oregon. Okay, USC is on the ropes. Another good recruiting class, and Oregon may not ever have to look back. A little bit more expansion in their recruiting staff and a little more money for their assistance, people aren't going to be able to poach them as quickly. And you're never looking back, okay? That's that's why I feel like Oregon is about to turn the corner into greatness for long term. And I think it's something so simple as, hey, here's five mil a year. Here's the money you need for your support staff. By the way, we're gonna we're gonna hitch a twenty million dollar buyout to that, 
Is that cool? Hey, we're cool. All good. Here we go. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's that simple in my mind. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just being, you know, a stupid homer from Southern Oregon. But in my mind, it just looks that simple from here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Want to change the subject? Go over five games? Oh, crap. Five games. We got football this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. You go ahead and kick off, because I'm going to have to look some up right now. And we're just going to go with it on the fly, because I can do that. Sure. As my dog's barking. So you go <laughs> ahead, because I'll be ready in three, two, one, and I'm ready. Go cool. ahead. All right. So I'm going to start off. It's on ABC, 9 a.m. Saturday morning. It's the number one team in the country. I, I expect Clemson to handle Georgia Tech, but at this point in the year, I'm just kind of checking in. It's like I've been getting way into grilling, and you put your meat on the grill. At a certain point, I know what I need to do. I know what temperature I need the coals to be. I know how long i got to put something on. I just pop open the lid every few minutes just to check and just make sure that nothing's a disaster, right? I just want to check in on Clemson. So Clemson, Georgia Tech, 9 a.m., that's my first of the week. You know, you, you lose heat every time you pop that open and take a look in there, right? I do. <laughs> an, an, old, an, old cooking, an old cooking technique. No, that, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it just because it's it, – obviously, we're going to talk about it. Georgia-Alabama. I mean, that's clearly the game of the week, the number one game you should be watching uh, this weekend. That's number three versus number two. That's not until 5 p.m., so I'm skipping way ahead. I know we normally go in chronological order. Um, but I'm taking a gimme on that one. I, right. I, I know we'll both have that one, but I mean, dude, that, that game right there to me, um, you know, it, you just wonder, will Nick Saban be able to coach in it? Uh, and really ultimately it's just going to be about the outcome of that game. I, I, I think it's going to be a close game because I think Alabama is actually beatable this year. I think they're good. They're one of the top five teams, but they're beatable. They're not the Alabama where you're like, Nope, forget about it. It's them and Clemson. Mm-hmm. They're beatable. And I think Georgia's built to beat them this year. Um, the problem is it'll be interesting to see the fallout from that because let's just assume that those two play this game and, you know, one will win, one will lose, obviously, but they'll run the table after that. You know, do they meet again in the, in the SEC Conference Championship game? And then what, what happens from that? So this game, in my mind, has huge implications not only this weekend, but down the line potentially as the Ducks look to try to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I've got that one on there too. Georgia, Bama, uh, 5 p.m. kick on CBS. I know that um, any Compass Media radio affiliates are carrying that one. So I think uh, 620 up here in the Portland area. And I know um, my crew down at 961580 the game. I know we got that as well. Um, really, for me, the question mark there, and, and full disclosure, we're taping this on a Thursday afternoon. The way that the other conferences do their testing, where it's not daily necessarily, Uh, in in some cases you're testing twice a week or you're testing three times a week, so there's still potential for for exposure. I I have my concerns. I wonder, is this game going to get played? That, that was my initial thought and something I said on the on the Scoop Duck boards is, well, I tell you what, if they don't let Nick Saban play, I imagine there will be a, a, a massive outbreak, and I'm using finger quotes here, 
as, as you guys can't see, if there will be a massive outbreak of COVID tests on the Alabama football team, which will force them not to play the game. Right. That's my guess right now. But Or, you know, I guess the flip side of that is the game will be played if Nick Saban suddenly cured and, and, and cleared the coach. I mean, I, that's my guess. I, I cannot see this game being played without Nick Saban on the sidelines, in my opinion. Who do you think would uh, would take over if Saban can't coach? Uh, ooh, good question. I guess Steve Sarkeesian. I, I, I mean, he's got head coaching experience. He's been there for a few years. You would think he might leave it to him, but I don't know. I mean, you might have to give, you know, you might have to give Sark like a half handle of Jack Daniels to get get started and get ready to go in that game. I, I don't know. As, yeah, I don't. As a as a bad Steve. Hopefully he's uh, gotten past his uh, drinking demons. I was going to say, point. man, that's a little below the belt for you. <laughs> uh, all in good fun. He's a hell of a coach. I yeah. mean, there's no doubt he's a hell of a coach. And I think, I, I think, I think, had Sarkeesian been able to to stay, you know, on the right path, he probably would have been a really successful coach at USC for a long time. But but yeah. clearly, uh, you know, clearly that habit got the better of him. But it sounds like he's he's been able to put it under control. What's your third I, game? I, uh, it's really, I mean, I got two more here and it's BYU Houston, which is a Friday night game. I think that's, I mean, that's like, to me, that's six 30 on Friday on ESPN. And that's going to be right now at this point, you know, kind of a, that has a pac 12 after dark feel of a football game to me. I mean, uh, you know, Houston's only one to know, uh, they've had, you know, mo- most of their games have been postponed this season. Uh, but their one game they played in, they were really good. So I'm kind of exci- excited to see that offense go against BYU. I mean, BYU is at 14, but gosh darn, it sure looks like a top 10 football team to me. So I'll, I'll be, for me, I'm genuinely excited about that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. To me, that game boils down to two questions. One for BYU is who have they played? Because... That's the one question every year with Indies and G5s is, you know, how tough is your schedule really? I think this is going to be one of the tougher matchups they've had so far. And then with Houston, all of that time off can be a bad thing. I, but I think about, like, say, that Tuesday night football game we had, uh, Titans-Bills in the NFL, where everybody and their mother counted Tennessee out because they hadn't had that practice for two weeks. And then they just killed the Bills. And my takeaway was that team was more rested. So so maybe all this time missed for Houston isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. No, I agree. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I'll give you another one that I've got. I, 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 don't, I keep doing it. I don't know why. I guess maybe I should just not be able to pick them anymore and just assume they're in there. Oh, but- no. Yeah, I've got Florida State, North Carolina. I mean, I just, <laughs> I got it. I got to see it. it uh, for me, honestly, for me, I don't care what's transpired at Florida State the last couple of years. I mean, I do, but I don't. And what I mean by that is they still have a really talented football team. Okay, they got some holes on their team, sure. But that team's still one of the top 15 most talented teams in the country on a star ranking level. And I I like what Mac Brown's doing at North Carolina. I think that's a program trending the right direction. I just don't think they're there yet. So I know that North Carolina's getting some early love and and a number five team in the country. I don't see it. They're not a number five team in the country in my eyes. So I'll just kind of be interested to see that game because I really think 
I really think even though they're not that good, I think Florida State will make it a closer game than than most will expect it to be. Are you the kind of person that slows down and looks when you see a car wreck? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm like the rest of the millennials. I get my video camera out and I take a picture, almost wreck my car. That's what blew my mind the other day, that video that went viral of the guy getting chased by the cougar in Utah. Oh, yeah. If I'm getting chased by a cougar, the last thing I'm doing is grabbing my freaking phone and hitting unlock and videotaping <laughs> it, eating my ass. Right. Look, okay. Looking down for five seconds. <laughs> like, see, what are you doing, dude? Oh, yeah, there's a cougar chasing you. Go ahead and find a big stick and, and save your life so you can tell your friends about it when you get home. There, there's a number of ways I could go here, and I hate, I hate categorizing millennials, but that's certainly something that I wouldn't expect people my age to be doing. What a st- I don't know. I was watching that going, who turns on their video to record the cougar? But you, I, I, I didn't read up, but it, it certainly looked like the cougar might have had um, some younger cubs around. And she certainly seemed more protective, you know, like of her space, of her area, than the fact that she really just wanted to eat him just because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no. either, either way, either way, I wouldn't have got my phone out and videoed it. I'd have been running like the flash. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us are running away from this Florida State game, but I have it down, too, for the same reason. To me, it really comes down to, you, you mentioned the rankings, this team is so hyped, and, and, and they have so many advantages in recruiting year after year to go out and get what we think and I say we, the, the sports media, the landscape that scouts these players, sorts these players, ranks these players, we believe they have one of the most talented rosters up and down every single year. And yet, this is like the third or fourth year in a row that that team, it, it's like a popped balloon. There's just no air in that team. They're getting blown out. And they're getting blown out by teams that have no business blowing them out. So I just want to know, like, how how bad is the puncture here? How how bad is the problem? And how long is it going to be a problem? So I want to watch. Well, and here's the thing. I'll relate this back to maybe Oregon and the Pac-12 a little bit. Is Florida State's got, got dudes all over the field. they got dudes in the defensive backfield. They've got skill at receiver. You know, they've got those positions really well done. What they don't have is skill on the line of scrimmage. Okay? Their offensive line is terrible. And their defensive line has has some some talent on there, but it's not. I mean, like FSU's defensive lines used to be legendary. I mean, they were you know five stars across the board, and you know six foot five, three hundred pounds guys you couldn't push around. And they don't have that now because of the way Jimbo Fisher left, the way Willie Taggart recruited when he got there, and what Mike Norvell has inherited now. Let's think of one program in the Pac-12 that's built like that. Okay, now that the elephant's out of the room, it's USC, right? So you got to start to wonder when this catches up to USC. I mean, they're in the Pac-12, so they're going to have a, a shot because they're in the Pac-12 South, which is weak. Which is weak. But their offensive line is, is, is really porous, and their defensive line is good but not elite. So you got to start to wonder when that catches up to them. Mm-hmm. All right, so we, we've gone through, uh, I think, four of, of mine so far because I had BYU-Houston, Clemson-Georgia Tech. Uh, I had the uh, Bama-Georgia game and then Florida State-North Carolina. The last one for me, and we can wrap up with you, I have Notre Dame-Louisville. It's uh, 11.30 a.m. NBC. 
and I grew up a Notre Dame fan, so part of it's always a little Golden Domer homerism, but the other part of it for me is sort of the inverse to Florida State, where we believe the Seminoles have a good roster and they're getting bad results. I believe that Notre Dame is not as good as that number four ranking, but they haven't lost, and so I'm just wondering when. And I think Louisville, they got spanked by Miami about a month ago, but that's a really fun team this year. They're doing a lot that I like schematically. Maybe this is the week that Notre Dame gets tripped up. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I've never been a a, a big Brian Kelly, Notre Dame fan. I, I I think they get the, uh, you know, the 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 Texas uh, infatuation of love from from preseason rankings that they get every year. I think they're a good team. I think they're a top ten team this year. I don't think they're a top five team, but as I wrote about on Sunday, you know, just from watching college football last Saturday, honestly, to me, after you rattle off the first four teams, which are Clemson, Georgia, Bama. And I believe Ohio State, really anybody from like five to 12 is almost interchangeable to me. You know, I, I, North Carolina could be good. I'm not sold. Notre Dame could be good. I'm not sold. I mean, there's just so many schools in there that fit that mold for me that I'm not really. I mean, you, you know, to me right now, you could argue, argue that BYU is a top 10 team and they could be anywhere from five to 10. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of where I'm at with, with things. And I, I think Notre Dame's good but I'm waiting for them to show me that they're great and, and they just haven't done that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your last games? Last one. I got one. That's it. And uh, it's kind of a, a weaker slate of games. We had, you know, there's three or four postponed games this weekend. Uh, it looks like the Big 12 has taken the week off. Uh, they only have, I, I believe, one. Well, they had two games scheduled and one got postponed, which is Oklahoma State, a team you got to watch out for. Uh, so there's not that many games. Uh, something to note, though, the Big Ten gets started next weekend, so we'll have those games to include and get our first look at Ohio State uh, you know, in play. But for this week, to wrap it up, uh, Auburn and South Carolina is my last game. Uh, you know, Auburn is still ranked 15, some reason, somehow. Uh, I believe that they play South Carolina. It's 9 a.m. on ESPN. I think that should be a good game because if you go and you look at South Carolina, okay, yeah, they're one and two. Okay, but they lost to Tennessee by four points. All right. And they lost to Florida, who was ranked number three at the time, which shows up as 14 points, but it was actually much closer to that late into the game. So, you know, for me, I think South Carolina has the potential to beat Auburn. And once again, Auburn's going to be, you know, basically as good as Bo Nix is. And, and, and I've said that for a couple of weeks. And, you know, when Bo Nix is out there flinging the ball and, and, and taking care of the ball, Auburn can be a dangerous team offensively, but when he's not playing well and he's wildly inconsistent, Alabama, Auburn's not that good. So I think South Carolina's got a chance to up, upset here, um, and, and I'm watching that game because it also has implications for Oregon, in my opinion. I think a second loss for Auburn uh, probably creates problems for them down the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Five games every week we do that. We get you five games we're watching on the uh, college football slate. Is there anything you want to hit on that we might have missed while we wrap up? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, just that uh, it's great to have, you know, fall football back, and hopefully you guys are enjoying the coverage. We're doing the best with what we're given, which is, you know, Zoom media conferences uh, after practices are over. Other than that, 
Uh, media is not allowed at practice, can't take pictures, can't do anything, not even 20 minutes, So, which is fine. I get it. It's a safety precaution. Um, but stick with us, and hopefully here in just a few short weeks, we're going to have football on TV, on the site, to watch, to enjoy. And uh, I'm really excited for that first game with Stanford. I think that's going to be a really good football game for the Ducks. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned those Zoom meetings. With you being in the Rogue Valley, I bet that's probably helped you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great question because, yeah, I've been in the Road Valley. I've been very fortunate to have great interns that are students at the University of Oregon, go-getters. You know, I've got Max Torres and Jacob Archer now. I had Alan Johnstone before. All three of them are, are just go-getters. Like, I, you know, they can't wait to go to practice. And, and I'm excited to have them there. It's really good for their development. It's really good for their growth. Uh, you know, it really gives them a chance to learn hands-on you know, what it's like to work in this industry. So I've been fortunate in that regard. For me, the practices were always kind of weird with like only the first 20 minutes open because by the time they're done stretching, you know, you've kind of only seen like a couple reps and it's that, you know, so what do you, you know, what are you really taking away? You basically are taking away who was out there practicing and who was injured. And, you know, that's about it. So uh, it's still good to have though. And uh, I'm just glad football's back. I'll be honest. I mean, I, 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 I do wonder what that would have done to the conference had they not played. So I'm, I'm just glad to see the conference was able to get it done and, and move forward. And I still am optimistic about, uh, you know, Oregon this season. Okay. We'll wrap on that note next week. Obviously we'll have uh, a little more Stanford preview to get into a couple weeks away from the PAC 12 getting back a couple days away from the big 10 getting back. Uh, stay tuned. Keep listening. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, available on pretty much any podcast app. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this night, like-